Welcome back to the weekly podcast of The Spectrum. I am the host, Molly Rio. Each week, we welcome a new guest from the Dartmouth High community. Stay tuned after this short break for this week's edition. Good morning, and welcome back to this week's edition of The Spectrum podcast. I am actually not your host today. Mr. Higgins will be, be, be the host, but I am the executive editor at The Spectrum, Molly Rio. And here's Mr. Higgins. Hi, everybody. This is Mr. Higgins. I'm the advisor for The Spectrum, and I also teach the journalism classes here. And we thought it would be a nice idea today if we spoke to the editors of The Spectrum, maybe a little bit about why they joined The Spectrum, um, you know, what their participation has been like so far, and maybe just some things about their background as well so you can learn about who they are. We pretty much have everybody here today. I think we're just missing uh, Josh Moniz, who is also an assistant editor, but he may pop in here at some moment. So why don't we talk to um, to Molly first. Molly is our uh, superior, supreme editor-in-chief. I can never remember Molly's exact title. <laughs> She's the uh, allied supreme commander uh, of all forces. And Molly actually has kind of an unusual story about how she got involved with um, with the Spectrum. Kind of unusual, I think. It was kind of a quick path to getting involved. Um, and she's been involved all four years since she's been um, in high school. So maybe you can just kind of explain a little bit about that, Molly. Yeah, so when I was in um, eighth grade, actually, I decided to um, sign up for Journalism One. And after being in Journalism One for a couple of days, I was all in class with the current spectrum writers and since i was already writing so many articles i remember going up to mr higgins desk after class and i was like can i join the school newspaper and he's like yeah (laughs) yeah you can join the school newspaper (laughs) and i was actually the youngest one on the paper there was no freshman that year yet and i liked journalism one so much i went into journalism two the following semester and um from then, I started writing a little bit more. And my sophomore year, I became an assistant editor, um, worked with Diogo and um, John Bechtayan. And then um, junior junior and senior year, I've um, been the executive editor. So um, yeah, most students, I don't think, take that many journalism courses um, as soon as they start off high school. But I did, and um, I really liked it. And yeah, it's, it's helped me a lot. Yeah, so Molly got involved right away as a freshman. We've had that happen quite a few times, I think, um, because of the journalism class. The journalism I didn't teach journalism last year for one year, so there may be just a little bit of a lag because of that. So one of the things that I, I am curious about um, before we kind of ask everybody else about their background is why you're writing for a newspaper in the first place, because, you know, newspapers in general are hard sell everywhere in the world right now. Fewer and fewer people are reading newspapers all the time you know people get their news mostly from social media or you know what they see quickly on cable news um but you know the the readership of newspapers is getting older and older all the time so you know what are your thoughts on that i think we have a hard time getting people to read our newspaper at the high school as well um and one of the reasons actually we're doing this podcast is to kind of branch out a little bit and um, and try to find you know more creative ways of reporting on what's going on in the school um, rather than just you know writing a, a printed newspaper so 
Uh, I'm going to pass it over to Avery. So Avery, what are your, what are your thoughts about this? What, what, what makes you interested in, in journalism, even though it's, you know, I won't say it's dying, but it's a, um, I don't know, it's a diminishing art form right now. So I think because news is traveling more and more through social media, it's even more important that journalism exists because there's so much misinformation and different ways of spreading news through social media. Like even at the school here, there's been a lot of misinformation through Facebook and different people just talking in class. So I think by having a group of people that are here to report on important events and make sure that the facts are straight is even more important because of that. And that way people are informed and know that that information is correct and they can rely on this. So one of the things I think that's interesting about um, Avery is that my sense is that you have sort of a social uh, motivation kind of behind doing that. Like your, I think your politics kind of play into it a little bit. Um, you know, I've seen it in some of your in your writing, which is a great thing. I, I think I'm trying to say this is a good thing. So maybe you could just speak to that a little bit because I think that must have something to do with your interest in journalism and reporting the news. Do you mean like my position like on politics like yeah. overall? Okay, um, I think because the first article I ever wrote for the Spectrum was the Greta Thunberg article for climate change. And I think as an incoming freshman, I was really adamant to kind of show people my position and where I stood on politics and kind of just in society overall. So that was why I wrote that as my first article. Um, I think overall, I think it's just really important that people understand the issues that are going on around the world because when you're in your everyday life, it's hard to kind of focus and remember that things are bigger than us and that it's happening around the world, which is why I wanted to write articles that kind of brought that awareness to people. Good. I think that's important. I think that's the reason why a lot of people get into journalism today, because they they want people to get information so they can make smart choices. So let me go to Morgan. So Morgan, what is it about journalism that still appeals to you? Why do you think it might be important to um, to write, work for, know about journalism in general? What's your your take on that? Um, so one of my favorite things to do, and especially being like a journalist for the spectrum, was doing the interview pieces. I feel like especially newspaper interview pieces give you a different aspect. Like you can go on YouTube and find. Um, just videos of people interviewing like for Vogue, like the 75 or 71 questions, 70 questions, whatever it is. But I feel like when you're reading it in an article, you're getting more background knowledge because when I write my interview pieces, I include the interview, but I also include like facts that you might not know about whoever I'm interviewing. Um, I did a Dartmouth Finest interview and like I interviewed the contestants, but then I added in more like personal background thoughts about them. I just think it's a good way to get more than just what they're saying like it has more background i think that's something you can't get in a youtube interview or just an interview online or anything like that so i think it adds a little something special good yeah it's funny because i just saw something the other day about those 71 questions in um in vogue for some reason that showed up my youtube channel as well i'm trying to think who it was who who had just done those um jennifer lawrence maybe I think she was answering, that's a lot of questions, 71 questions. I mean, I've seen, you know, 10 questions, uh, you know, like on Stephen Colbert, other plays, it was 71. Wow. I mean, it must be like an hour long episode when they do that. Um, well, let's ask Rosa. So Rosa, you're, this is your first year working with uh, the newspaper. 
um, and you're a junior. So why don't you tell us what, what got you interested in, um, in getting involved with this weird group of people? And um, I don't know, what do you see as the importance of journalism? So I got involved in the club from the club expo that happened in the lunch, during lunch. And I sat there and I was always interested in journalism because I really like to know everyone's opinions. Like I want to know what they think about uh, certain matters. And I really wanted to get to know people uh, because I, I find it like very important to hang out with people and be more social. So I joined the club and you know, I've really liked it so far, talking to a lot of people and interviewing them. That's one of my favorite things also. And that's it. Good. So Molly, one of the, the, the most viewed articles of all time, I think, on the Spectrum website is an article that you wrote, I think when you were a freshman, right? I think you were a freshman. And um, it's funny, this, this article just seems to have a life of its own, even though it was kind of like, dated a little bit, like in a specific um, time period. So maybe just tell us a little bit about that and what happened. So it was actually an assignment that I believe you gave me in class to write a listicle, which is basically um, exactly how it sounds, just like a list of something. And um, <laughs> I decided to be a little controversial and make a list of the top 25 restaurants in the South Coast. Um, and I had reasons for why I picked them. There was photos and we put it out there and the restaurants were kind of like angry about it. I wouldn't say angry, but they were sharing it on all their pages. And there was people commenting on their Instagram page, like arguing about it. Like I remember there was one girl and she was like, I can think of so many restaurants that are better than this one. And people were upset about it. <laughs> it was kind of funny. And we came in to school, I believe like the following week. And we just looked at the numbers and we're like, how did this many people see this article? It was crazy. Yeah. A lot of people saw it. it that was kind of cool. Yeah. It's funny. I think that that article is always in the top three when we look up sort of like all time, you know, views, it, it quickly got into the thousands and it must be because restaurants are sharing it through social media. So a listicle, if you're not familiar with it, is a um, is a combination of an article and a list, sort of like BuzzFeed, pretty much, right? Have you ever been to um to BuzzFeed.com? So Avery, you're writing one right now for um for journalism too. Maybe just tell us about what you're writing about for your listicle, and um, I don't know what your plans are. So I decided to write my listicle on top five books that I read this year. I think in January, I kind of made um, a resolution that I tried to stick to of reading a book a month, and I've stuck to it so far. And there was a lot of books this year that I absolutely loved. One of them was The Glass Kingdom, and I think it's by Lawrence Osborne. And it definitely touched upon like the division of politics and how it can destroy a city and bring people together also, and how it affects people traveling. So that book definitely touched upon some topics that were really important, especially this year and in January. So um, I think writing a listicle of books that people can relate to and also make connections to the real world was important to me. And reading for me is definitely an outlet that I absolutely love. So I think that's why I chose it to do for the listicle. Good. Yeah, there's something weird about lists that people just can't stop looking at. I mean, BuzzFeed really has just made all of their money, their entire reputation on, on making listicles. They're not the only one. There are other ones out there, but uh, that's a big one. Um, here's my question for everybody. So what are some things that you 
think the that's that aren't being reported on enough in school? What are some issues that are happening around school where you don't think that these issues or these topics are getting enough light? Um, that there are things that students talk about, um, but nobody has really touched on yet. You know, one of the things I, I think that makes the spectrum a little bit unique is that we we really consider ourselves to be a, the student newspaper. We're, we're not really a a newsletter or an advertisement for the school. Um, you know, there's a, I think there's a place for that and there's a purpose for that, but I think our idea really is to try to um, tackle things that are kind of difficult and things that people are talking about. So I don't know, what are some things going on, things that doesn't even have to be something that's in school, but something that students are talking about that you think is underreported, under-discussed in our school and that maybe needs, you know, more light shed on it. I want to go to Molly first. So um, the past, let's see, year and a half, we've, of course, been in COVID, and we're still seeing that now. I mean, a ton of students are right now because of COVID cases. Um, and there's no doubt that, you know, getting vaccinated and protecting ourselves is the best way to get out of this. But I'm kind of astounded by the number of students who still refuse to get vaccinated, even though they're in extracurricular activities around older people, have a job, this and that. And um. Yeah, I remember Dartmouth Week put out an article saying it was like 30% of like pretty much high school students are vaccinated, which really shocked me. And um, I think that's something interesting to look into. Like, why is it with such a, a, a well-established science department here, such a well-established math department that students are still not trusting science itself and not getting vaccinated? Um, that that still shocks me. And I mean, of course, it is still a personal decision. Um you know, but I find that pretty interesting. And comparing that to different numbers around the country, I mean, there's students in, um, I mean, I think just a little bit uh, um, north of us, like near Boston, the um, the vaccination rates are much better than they are here. Um, but like down south, it's awful. So I find that kind of interesting, especially because we're a democratic state um, and the vaccination rates are still pretty bad here. Um, yeah, I think that's something we, we could look into. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And, you know, I think that it should be framed as a public health issue. But the problem is that the idea of vaccination has become so political that I think that teachers, administrators, nurses are afraid to talk about it, which is just so strange. You know, uh, I don't know any other time period, I think, when there was a, a virus or an illness that was spreading around and could potentially harm students. I think that the school would be, you know, in 100 percent advertising you know, how to take care of yourself, um, you know, how to uh, to remedy the situation. But there's there's barely anything. I feel like, there, you know, there's not really much, you know, I don't see any posters for school like go va get vaccinated or it's nothing. I, it's, it's very, very strange. So that's a good one. We did do some good reporting, I thought, on COVID during the whole, you know, episode. We tried to get out there and, and you know, talk about some of the issues that were going on with it, but probably not vaccinations enough. Um, Avery, what's what's an issue you think that's underreported? Um, probably not an issue, but I think like definitely in school and with reporting, like we focus a lot on academics and how the school is run. And just talking to my friends and other students this year, it's kind of interesting how you forget that every single student here has an entire life outside of school. Like they have their own hobbies, their own families, their own issues that they're dealing with. And I think that sometimes goes unnoticed, especially like doing the interviews, especially for COVID-19. You kind of realize how many different 
branching off different topics that people are affected by with COVID in school and how COVID influences their lives and um, just different people's personalities and individuality and identities. I think we forget that like everybody has a totally different life than us. Good. Yeah, I think that's a good one too. You know, there are there are definitely students around who are doing unusual things. Like uh, Sophia just walked in. We I was shocked to hear just a couple weeks ago that Sophia rides and competes with um, horses in equestrian events. I had no idea. All right, so both Sophia and Josh are here. Josh is one of the assistant editors. And um, Josh, I'm asking everybody, what's uh, an issue uh, around school that you think is underreported that maybe students are talking about or you think that is essential, but it's not getting much light? Yeah, I think it's an issue that's kind of gotten worse in, throughout the pandemic. But I've noticed this year, especially there's been a lot of students who come in late uh, like just like tardies, like in general, like, like in my first period class, we just had like, there was probably it was 10 kids and we have like 18 kids at the beginning of class, like five of them just like showed up late. Like some of those like crazy numbers like that. It's like half the class there on time in the morning. I don't know if that's because like we're older and we, we can drive. So like, we're just kind of like, oh, we don't have to take the bus. So if I don't feel like coming in this early, I'm just going to drive myself or whatever. We kind of have that freedom now. I don't know if that's related to the pan pandemic, but I definitely I've seen that more this year. Than more than ever. You think that's a traffic problem, or is that a uh, a motivation problem getting here on time? I mean, I I think tardiness for seniors has probably been an issue ever since there was something called a senior and something called a high school, <laughs> and you put the two together. I think that's always been an issue. But I know that traffic, I know that traffic has been a huge issue this year. But it's it seems to have abated a little bit over the last couple of weeks and maybe that's because people are coming late i don't know <laughs> people just decide you're not even gonna bother uh, i don't know what do you think what's your take on that i think especially at the beginning of the year the traffic was really bad i think a lot of parents wanted to bring their kids to school and like especially last year uh when it was hybrid like the even with just half the students here the line for the parent drop-off was around the building but i think allowing the like people to get here earlier has helped the traffic so I think that's kind of helped some of the lateness, but I, there's still kids that, I mean, are going to be late no matter what. I know I've heard the administration say several times that they think that um, traffic is actually an incentive to take a bus, that they they would rather you get on a bus because, you know, buses generally get here on time and the crossing guards you can see, you know, maddeningly give preference to the school buses at intersections when they, when they come through. But it's, yeah. Um, if you look at the buses though, when they're lined up, you know, at school at 7.15 before they let everybody out um, in the morning, there's hardly anybody on the buses. The buses, there are many buses that maybe just have two or three people on them. This huge hulking steel vehicle, you know, using diesel, you know, traveling miles and nobody is, is riding on the bus. Um, is there a reason for that? I mean, why is it that, that people are choosing to, to drive be, you know, deal with traffic rather than get on a bus and uh, and take the easy route there. So, Sophia, you want to answer that? Well, I know just in my case, the bus takes, I live right down the road, about like three, four miles. And the bus takes, took like 45 minutes to come from the school to getting off the bus. So just driving takes me, even with the traffic, about 15 minutes. I'm home by 2.15. If I were to take the bus, I wouldn't be home till 2.50. So it's like, that's a good chunk of time during the day. Anything else we're responsible? Go ahead, Josh, we'll talk first. 
Yeah, I think that's, like I was saying earlier, that's been heightened with the pandemic. I know, like, when we first started coming back to school after the pandemic had started, I was very skeptical skeptical about having to take the bus because we're so close to each other. Um, so I think that's probably a concern of parents and students, just that they are so close to to one another on the bus, even though they're masked, they're still close. And that, so parents kind of want to drive their own kids to schools now. So kind of a safety issue. And I... I think Sophia's argument is a good one too. I mean, if she she lives just down the street, and if it takes forty, said forty five minutes to get it home, that's that's pretty ridiculous. So that's definitely a disincentive to to take the bus. All right, so Rosa. So um, me and I know a few other people who live in New Bedford, and the buses don't even come over there. So then we're forced to to drive. And I was also going to mention the safety issue. Um, I know a lot of students who don't feel safe on buses, not only because of COVID, but because of some other reasons. And I feel like that's why some people are able to just drive. So safety, if it's not just COVID, I mean, is it um, it's the bad driving? <laughs> There's plenty to that. Is it, you know, the social aspect of it? I know that two years ago, we had the big incident where a deer jumped through the front window of a bus. I mean, some of the some of the photos that came out of that were was absolutely amazing. I think we actually published an article about that that when that when that took place. Um, all right, why don't we move on to um, Sophia? So Sophia, what's an issue maybe you think is underreported um, in school that that we need to to shed more light on? Well. Uh, we haven't talked that much about like clubs recently and new clubs. I know there are a good amount of like just new clubs that have come in the past two years. Um, there's the a like a political science club that some seniors I know Morgan is a part of, um, and some that people made. I know I created a creative writing club, and I'm there's probably other uh, there was like best buddies I think that um, Evan Garcia and Catherine Quinn um, created and. I don't think we talk about that that much. And I think that, um, well, I worked like last year with administration um, to try to get it to happen. And then I was able to get that to go through the end of last year. And we've had like four meetings and we've had a pretty good turnout. We've had um, like the first meeting, we obviously we had more. And it's kind of, we have like a good 14, 15 kids who are coming, which is pretty good for the new club. Um, and we have been going over like just some basic stuff, you know, like tenses, um, different types of fiction. We recently went over like flash fiction, which is something that's like a good way to like get your feet wet in fiction because it's short, that generally under a thousand words. Um, and we, wa we watched some videos on it. And then we have like a Google Classroom where students can like submit their work for either peer editing or just having our club advisor Miss Coney, um, look over it or have me look over it. That's pretty much it. So one of the things you didn't mention was that you're, you're an award-winning fiction writer yourself, right? You won the Scholastic Art and Writing Award last year for short story um, that you wrote. I think it was, in the, it was in the fantasy category. Yeah. Um, so, all right, let's, let's move on. So Morgan, what's something you think is underreported that um, we should be talking about more. Um, a major thing that I think is like underreported is just like students, like just their overall well-being and mental health. Um, 
I like I know we have guidance officers we have social workers but I feel like we aren't not that we aren't doing enough I just think that students shouldn't be forced to like and so a lot of people I know personally they prioritize um, their homework over sleep so I think that we shouldn't be forcing our kids and like the students to pick between sleeping every night or sleeping even once or twice a week to doing homework because I have friends that have had breakdowns in the middle of class fall asleep in class and these are straight A students but they're not getting enough sleep at night because they're up doing homework they're falling asleep in class and then they're missing and they're accumulating more homework because they now have the classwork that they missed in class so I think that um I know like teachers are already super lenient and I'm very thankful for it, but I think there it's a rough it's a rough situation because we go from having COVID and being at home last year and like staying in your room for hours at a time and just having all this time to do homework. So like you would go to bed at like 10, 30, 11 because you've gotten all your homework done. And now like you're going to bed out one or two because you have to go to school, you have to do your extracurriculars, you have to do your homework. Um, some people have jobs and it's just like we I feel like not that teachers should be a lot more relaxed but I feel like they should be more understanding like if a kid like I know I have two jobs and I do extracurriculars so sometimes like my homework doesn't get done until like one two three in the morning and then I fall, end up falling asleep in class sometimes so I just think that um, there shouldn't be like if the student is on top of their homework and communicates with their teacher, I feel like it shouldn't be as much of a classwork participation grade as it is. Because I know like in, my, in one of my classes, she gives five points for the homework. Like I have one assignment that she graded wrong and put into Aspen as like zero points and my grade dropped like four points. Like my overall grade dropped four points because I got zero on one homework assignment. On Like it wasn't even like, I just think that it shouldn't be weighted as much, that it should relax a little bit but I feel like that's a bigger issue. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And I, I one of the things I think that's disturbing to me about homework a little bit is that it makes taking upper level classes elitist, I think, because students who are forced to work or forced to care for siblings or you know other reasons don't have the opportunity, I think, to take those classes some of which are probably so dependent on homework uh, for a grade. I, we have tried to write about that several times before, but that's a difficult one here at Dartmouth High School. And I think that also kind of plays into the new grading policy a little bit as well, which seems to be applied unevenly from what I can tell around the school. Um, and I, the new grading policy is basically that you're allowed to retake, redo assignments like that um, within, how, how long is it? I don't know within a week, I should probably know that I'm a teacher. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there, there's probably an issue um, with that as well. So I don't know if anybody wants to talk about about the grading policy in the last minute here. Um, one, so last comments here. Um, actually, just the other day, my friend had been out for COVID, I think for about a Good morning, this is Michaela Valancourt with one. And thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Spectrum Podcast. We'll see you next week, Dartmouth High.